This is the word of the Lord according to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Have a seat, please. So good to have you all here today. Well, many of you know my story that I was a church attendee throughout my growing up experience, but never had a personal relationship with Christ until my freshman year at Ball State, where I got involved in a dorm Bible study with the Navigator Ministry. And uh, they not only helped me to grow as a follower of Christ, but they also taught me how to share my faith with others. And their preferred method of sharing, their approach, was a thing called the bridge. It was sort of an illustration where you had two different cliffs and you had man on one side and God on the other side and there was this great chasm in between that our sin caused us to be separated from God. So they would talk about the fact that, you know, God had a plan but man sinned and so the only thing that really bridges that gap between a holy God and and sinful man is is the cross of Christ. And then people have to respond to that. So that was our, that was the method that I was taught early on in my Christian experience called the bridge. Well, I also came in contact with a small booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws that was written by, I'm trying to think of the man's name with Campus Crusade, Bill Bright, thank you, many years ago. And it had four key spiritual truths that it talked about. God's plan for your life, man's fall into sin and separation from God, God's rescue through Christ, and then man's response. And so those were the four laws, and that would be the way that you would share man's condition outside of Christ and how they could be come into a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, this was my wife's preferred method of sharing at Ball State. I think the story goes that when she was a freshman at Ball State, she came with 200 spiritual laws, and every guy that asked her out on a date, she would take one of the four spiritual laws. And I don't know, did you you use all of them up the first semester? I don't know, some story like that. She, by the time she met me, she'd run out of him, but, but I knew Jesus anyway, so it was okay. But uh, that was her preferred method of sharing her faith. At, uh... Oh, she doesn't recommend uh, dating or evangelism dating. Is that what we call it? She does not recommend that to you young people here. Okay. 
And then uh, in my first pastorate out in California, uh, I was trained in what's called EE, Evangelism Explosion. Anybody ever done EE before, been trained in it? Not too many. Okay, well, EE is very thorough, but there are a lot of steps. There are a lot of illustrations, Bible passages, and so you, you have to be a little bit of an academic type to remember all of the approach with EE. So I tried it twice, and even as a pastor, I failed both times. But uh, they do ask two questions that I thought are very good questions. Whenever you encounter somebody, or in this case, our church would go out, and when new people would come, we'd kind of ask them for an invitation to come and meet them, and we'd, we'd share the EE uh, approach with them each time. Two questions. If you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? Now, some people don't really know, and they say, well, I'm not sure. But a lot of people would say, yes, I'm going to heaven. So the second question is, well, if God were to meet you at the gates of heaven and say, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? And so, if, of course, if a person's already a believer, they'd say, well, you know, I've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. I'm forgiven through my faith in him. But a lot of people would say, well, I've done more good than bad, or I've never done anything so terrible or, you know, I'm a pretty good person, uh, those kinds of things. And then you'd say, well, if that's not the entire truth, would you like to hear the entire truth? And then you get go into the gospel presentation. Uh, I also uh, learned a method called lifestyle evangelism that I used to teach out in California. It was basically saying if you all kind of live in a general proximity, and you live out the life of Christ not only sharing faith stories and sharing the gospel, but demonstrating God's grace and love to other people. As you do that as a community and you all begin to t- kind of touch some of the same people around there, that was called lifestyle evang- evangelism. So it was kind of a, a church-wide or a community-wide type of approach to sharing our faith together as a collective whole. It makes sense, doesn't it? We're all part of the body of Christ. And so as a body, we're sharing the life of Christ with our community. And then I came in contact uh, at the last church I was at, uh, Grace Evangelical. I, I taught a, a life, a, a evangelism class that really was kind of based on discovering your style. And so lots of times with a, a certain style, they came up with a biblical character that kind of illustrated that best. And one was uh, evangelism style was kind of in-your-face evangelism. That was Peter, you know. Peter would just let it, let it go, you know. He'd just say it. Men of Israel, and he'd get up and, and preach it. Or you might have been more like the Apostle Paul where you have more of an academic or a logical, apologetic type of approach to defending Christ as the Messiah and introducing him to people. And then you might have had a person like Matthew Levi. Remember, Matthew Levi was a tax collector. So he had some friends from his past that were, you know, and then, of course, he's got the apostles now and his new friends in Christ. So what he'd do, he'd throw a big party and invite them all to come. And then he'd pray that the Holy Spirit would do his thing when all these Christians and unbelievers are getting together. So that's another uh, style of evangelism. Well, the, one of the, my favorites is what's called the one-verse uh, evangelistic style or the bad news, good news, taken from Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. But the good news is, is that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So just one verse you have to know. And you can share the bad news, and the bad news makes the good news that much better, all right? And then there's what I like to call the conversational evangelism. Mm -hmm. 
This is where you nearly talk a person to death, and right before they die, you offer them Christ. I'm thinking I see a few people out here I think could fit in with that conversational style of evangelism. Well, I don't know if there's anybody here besides me this morning that struggled to find an approach that fits you or one that seems to work consistently. I think we all kind of struggle and wrestle with that. Um, Today, what I'm going to do is not talk about all the different styles or methods of sharing the good news of Jesus with people, but I want to talk about an important truth that's essential for evangelism to be effective at all. That sound good? One simple truth that will make all the difference no matter how you share your faith in Christ with others. All right, let's pray. Lord, this is your day, and we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you that you are a living Savior. Thank you, Lord, for going to the cross on our behalf. Thank you for being our intercessor and our advocate in heaven. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that your Spirit would empower each of us to hear your words, that he would open our hearts, that you would shed light on those areas of our life that tend to pull us away from that surrendered relationship to you. Lord, we know that with God all things are possible. So I pray today that you'll do some miracles in our lives. I pray that you will make this church a church that is on fire with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come and to fall upon us and, and to do things that will just set us free from ourselves, from tradition, from going through the motions. So just capture our hearts right now and teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we remembered... Uh, the death of Christ on Good Friday, and then we celebrated his victorious resurrection on Easter. Today we're going to look at the coming of the Holy Spirit and his impact on the church and our task of being witnesses of the resurrected Christ. So we're going to be looking at the book of Acts. So if you have a Bible or uh, a tablet or something, if you open up. By the way, we always keep Bibles there in the back, and so if you need a Bible, there's some back there on the tables. Feel free to, to grab one of those. But if you will, open up to the book of Acts, chapter 1. And, and most people, um, I've noticed in most Bibles, the title for this book is, at, is entitled The Acts of the Apostles. But I'm entitling this message, Acts of the Holy Spirit. And here's why. Because I believe the Holy Spirit has to act before any of our actions make an impact for eternity. The Holy Spirit has to act before any of our actions are going to make an impact for eternity. And so, yes, this book is about the acts of the apostles, but long before that, it's about the acts of the Holy Spirit on the apostles and the act of the Holy Spirit inside of us because we're being sent out too. And if we're going to be sent out, we better make sure we have the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1, verses 4 and 5, the disciples were ordered to wait for the Father's promise, which Jesus told them about. He says, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
Jesus said, I want you to wait. I want you to wait for the Father's promise. I want you to wait until you're immersed in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is immersed in you. Now, keep in mind, these not just the 12 apostles or 11 at that point, and then Matthias is added, but there were, there were 120 people. And Jesus is saying to them, for 40 days, you've seen me as the resurrected Christ in my glory. And now you're telling us to wait before we go out and tell anybody else? I don't know, that thought just came to me this week. It's like, here's Jesus, rose, risen from the dead, and he's with him for, for 40 days, and they've seen him. And Thomas has put his finger in, in the, the hole where the nails, and he says, my Lord and my God. I mean, those types of events have taken place for 40 days, and now Jesus says, don't tell anybody, wait. Now, sometimes we do a little too much waiting. I realize that. We wait and wait and wait and wait and wait, sit, 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 and going. But there is a truth that we need to wait for the Holy Spirit. And here's the reason. Look in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts 1, 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The reason we must wait is because we have to wait for the Holy Spirit because without the Holy Spirit, we have no power, and how are we going to witness? All we would have is just witnessing with our own wisdom, our own strength, our own flesh. We can't bring spiritual life. Only the Spirit can bring spiritual life to another person. So if the Spirit is not moving in us and through us, I mean, he might just bypass us and go ahead and move in a person's heart. I mean, he can do that anytime he wants to. But we have to wait to receive that power for the Holy Spirit to come upon us, and then we can be effective witnesses. That is the truth, is that we must be indwelt, sealed, baptized, immersed, and filled with the Holy Spirit in order to be an effective witness for Christ. Here's what uh, Chuck Swindoll says about this. He says, The Gospel of Luke portrays Jesus as the incarnate Son of God, the living, eternal, all-powerful God of heaven, dressed in human garb. Here in flesh and blood was, the God, was God in all his power, rubbing shoulders with humanity. But Luke and the other gospel accounts narrate only the beginning of Jesus' ministry on earth. The book of Acts describes its continuation through his spirit-empowered believers or followers. In the gospels, he did it in his own physical body. But in the book of Acts, he's doing it through the bodies of men and women who are indwelt by his life. Whether in the gospels or in Acts, Incarnation is the secret strategy by which God changes the world. Christ in us, working through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit worked through Jesus, God in the flesh, and the Holy Spirit works through us. So here's, here's what it's like. This lamp right now is not on. Here's the power source. I plug this in, 
and you can see the light because it, can, it was connected with the power source. That represents the Holy Spirit. We have to connect to the Holy Spirit. We have to be indwelt and filled and engaged with the Holy Spirit in order for us to shine the light of Christ into the world. You say, okay, that's, that's simple enough. I got that. I've been pastoring 30 years. I mean, I know this truth. I teach this truth. I exhort people in this truth. But I don't know how many times I sometimes run off in my own ministry pursuits without making sure that I'm plugged into the power source. And then I wonder why there's no fruit. I wonder why I don't see God moving through a group or an individual or in my, in my witness to the community. I didn't wait. I have to wait upon the Holy Spirit to sur- live, a, live a surrendered life and ask the Holy Spirit then to fill me, illuminate my mind, and then to show me where to go and who to share with. We'll get into that a little bit more later. So first of all, Holy Spirit... Power of the Holy Spirit, effective witness. That's the order. Don't get them out of that order. Holy Spirit, power of the Holy Spirit, effective witness. Now, I want to share some examples in the book of Acts. So look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to read the first eight verses to get us going here. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, and Pentecost was, remember, the Jewish festival, penta meaning 50, so it was 50 days after the the festival of first fruits. And so in the New Testament, first fruits represents the resurrection of Christ. He is the first fruits. So 50 days after Christ rose, we have Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Uh, Go down to the last part of verse 11. Goes on to say, We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And so some people thought when they heard all these different languages speaking the mighty works of God, some of them were mocking them, just saying, Well, they're drunk. Well, it was 9 o'clock in the morning. So Peter gets up and says, they're not drunk. And then look at verse 16. He explains what's going on. Peter says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And then skip down to verse 22. We begin to see then the Holy Holy Spirit here empowering Peter 
and he gives his witness. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. In other words, this was God's plan. But then he says to them, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then go on down to verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Wow, here's Peter. Filled with the Holy Spirit like the 120, the miracle of tongues, speaking the mighty works of God. And then he tells all of them there, here's the situation. God came in Christ, the Messiah came, and you killed him. And so in verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Peter's words through the power of the Holy Spirit cut right into their hearts. We don't have any way of speaking to the heart of a person, but the Holy Spirit knows no bounds. He knows exactly how to speak to each of us. They were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? I'm picturing Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 when he saw the Lord sitting on the throne. He says, whoa, this is not good. What shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, even for all who are far off, everyone who, whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Wouldn't it be fun to be somewhere where you see 3,000 souls coming into the kingdom and being baptized. I mean, that's, that, that's a lot of water. <laughs> Holy Spirit comes, fills them up. Peter proclaims the bad news and the good news. Their hearts are cut to the quick. Peter says, here's how you come to Christ. Here's how you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's how you'll be forgiven. And people just flock to Jesus. I like the next few passages. I won't go into teaching it, but then it shows in the next few verses there in chapter 2 how they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer and the breaking of bread and, and to fellowship and how they had all things in common. They sold their things and gave the money to the people that needed it. And they were taking their meals together with, with gladness and sincerity of heart. And the Lord was giving them favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Folks, there's just no way that happens until 
the Holy Spirit is unleashed. No matter how long we have to tarry, it's worth tarrying, asking God, confessing sin, reading Scripture, being in prayer, praying for God's mercy, praying for God's revival in you, in your family, in this church, in these communities that we come from. Most of us just aren't willing to pay the price. I'm going to tell you that a little bit later at the close of the message, but that was the bottom line I, uh, bottom line I came to when God confronted. You know, God always confronts the pastor before he, he preaches something through him. And it's like, Gary, are you willing to pay the price to really see my spirit unleashed in your life? I want that. Would you pray that for me, that I will surrender in that way? the Holy Spirit will be unleashed in my life. Now go to chapter 3. I want to look at Peter and John healing a lame man. He's there at the temple by a gate, and he's, he's begging for alms, okay? He can't walk. He can't make a living. He, he has to beg for money. And in verse 6, it says, when, when Peter got, told him to, to look at them, it says, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I would love it if we could just develop that habit here that when you come into this place that you're walking and leaping and praising God. I think that would be very appropriate. Pastor Grant, is that okay? All right. Well, just try that next week. When you come in here, you're walking, leaping, praising God, getting ready, getting ready for worship. All right. So go to verse 11 now. So this man is healed. He's in good shape. It says, while he clung to Peter and John. Wow. Wouldn't you have loved to have seen that? This man, a miracle done. He's healed and he's just clinging to these men. And all the people were utterly astounded, and they ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. Again, he goes at him, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he, had did not, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Remember the men who were speaking these words. These are not highly educated, by the world standards, intelligent men. These are not scholars. These are not priests. These are not Levites. These are not teachers of the law. But they're men who knew Jesus and knew he was the Son of the living God, the Messiah. And they saw him die, and they saw him rise from the dead, and they spent 40 days with him off and on. And then the Holy Spirit came, and they were changed. 
at Gethsemane, they all ran away. Peter denied him three times. But now they're men on fire with God himself living inside of them. And all of them except the Apostle John died a martyr's death for their faith. Why? Because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was alive. He was real. And the power of God resided in them. Their witness was effective. They laid their lives out there on the line. And they weren't afraid to speak the truth. Now, let's go to chapter 4, verse 5. This is where they're in front of the religious leaders. See, miracles always cause the religious leaders a little bit of an issue because miracles weren't happening through them. But when Jesus came and now his apostles, miracles are happening. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. See, what I'm wanting you to see in these passages is that action and witness is a result of the filling of the Spirit. This is not them moving and speaking on their own. This is the Holy Spirit having his way in them and through them. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, (laughs) he doesn't let up, does he? Whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Now skip down to verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And here's this lame man standing and leaping and praising God and They didn't know what to say. Holy Spirit, power of the Spirit, effective witness. All right? Let's go to Acts chapter 6. I want to look at the life of Stephen. Let me read the first five verses of Acts chapter 6. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, the Greeks, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit. And then they list six other people. So there were seven of these men chosen to oversee the distribution of food to make sure that all the widows were getting their portion. Now go down to verse 8. Let's look at the life of Stephen here. And Stephen was full of grace and power and was doing great wonders and signs among the people. 
Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We've heard from from him speak we've heard him we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and they seized him and brought him before the council and they set up false witnesses who said this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. This will be a setting to behold. Kind of like Jesus when he was being accused and all these things were were being thrown at him. How he didn't speak a word. Well, during the first 50 verses of Acts 7, Stephen goes into a history of the Jewish people. So if you want 50 verses where you can get a handle on kind of what, you know, the the history of the the Jews, just read chapter 7. But but go, if you will, to verse 51. Chapter 7, verse 51, because Stephen now kind of just bears right in. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. You see, not only can you be an effective witness when you're full of the Holy Spirit, but you can see things that other people don't see because the Spirit gives you that insight because those things are spiritually appraised and there's just certain things in life you can't know without the Spirit. But he looks up into heaven And he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Normally in the scriptures, it says that he was seated at the right hand of God, but Jesus was standing. And it doesn't tell us why, but I like to think that he's standing and waiting for Stephen. That he was ready to receive him into his arms, just like we sang about earlier. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul. (laughs) And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. 
And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You know, we, we don't know what type of persecution or trials or oppression or spiritual attacks are going to come upon us. I mean, we have an enemy, and we live in a fallen world with fallen people, all of us being one of those fallen people. Those things are going to happen. But here's Stephen, who's given his life for the cause of Christ with the face of an angel, and his last words, similar to Jesus, Father, forgive them. How can somebody do that? You can't but the Holy Spirit in you can. The Holy Spirit is the power source. Folks, we got to deal with the Holy Spirit more. We, we, we can't pretend that he's, we have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit's kind of out there floating around. No. It's God, the Holy Spirit, that is amongst us right now. He is our power source. He is our life. He is the one that applies redemption to us. One last one. Go, if you will, to Acts chapter 10. I'm sorry, two more. Acts chapter 10. Because the Spirit not only empowers us, but you know what else the Spirit does? Sometimes He opens doors, and sometimes He closes doors in terms of who we are to witness to. Now, in Acts chapter 10, let me just summarize it. Peter goes into this trance, and he has this vision of this sheet coming down from heaven, and it's full of animals, both clean and unclean in terms of the Jewish laws. And God says to Peter, Peter, rise and eat. Peter says, oh, Lord, I've never eaten an unclean animal. And then uh, God says, well, what God has made clean, do not call common or unclean. And so God is working with Peter and letting him know that the Gentiles are included in this salvation that Jesus brought. He's preparing him through this trance, through this vision. And then in verse 19, chapter 10, verse 19, while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them open door. Peter, you're going to go into a Gentile's home. You're going to begin to bring the Gentiles into this one new body called the church. It's no longer Jew and Gentile. It's the body of Christ. And so one of those moments where, you know, blown mind for sure, but the Spirit says, go. Now look at uh, chapter 16. Jump over here. Paul and Silas are on their second missionary journey at this point in time. And uh, look at verse 6, because we see both closed doors and open doors in terms of where Paul and Silas and uh, probably Luke at that point should go. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. We're talking about modern-day Turkey. And when they had come to Mysia, They attempted to go Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus, see the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus are all the same thing. The the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, 
And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So sometimes God closes doors. You may have had in your mind, well, today I'm going to go share with so-and-so, or I'm going to go spend time with this person. You have this person on your, but the Holy Spirit has a whole different thing. So he might close a door, but open another door, and you have to be open to that. And then lastly, I just want to share a little bit more about the apostle, or about uh, Paul, the apostle Paul. So go back to chapter nine. Go back to chapter nine. And look at uh, Paul, just to set up this scene, Paul is on his way from Jerusalem to Damascus. And he's asked for letters to the officials in Damascus to take anyone who are followers of the way, in other words, people who, who love Jesus and are following Jesus, Paul wants to take them back to Jerusalem to be tried and perhaps thrown in prison or even killed. So Paul's on his way, and this great light, the Lord Jesus, strikes him blind. He falls off his horse or whatever he's riding, and uh, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, well, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus. And then he tells them to get up and to go into Damascus. And so then the Holy Spirit speaks to Ananias, who's a, who's a follower of Christ that lives in Damascus. And Ananias is told to go to Saul or to Paul, and he's afraid because he's heard about Saul killing all, and, you know, and putting into prison all these followers of Christ. But then it's, it says this in verse 15. Look at verse 15, chapter 9. But the Lord said to him, said to Ananias, go, For he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And for the rest, you know, from Acts 13 on, when Paul and Barnabas are first called to hit the road and take the first missions trip, from Acts 13 all the way through the end of Acts, we see Paul, three different trips, going all over the known world and sharing Christ because he's filled with the Holy Spirit and God has given him a call. He's given him a stewardship. Yes, to preach to the Jews, but specifically to the Gentiles. So what Peter begins in chapter 10, Paul then is carrying out all over the world. And Paul's witness was pretty effective. I mean, you talk about church planters. Wow, Paul planted a few churches. And then we have his letters, you know, from from Romans through Hebrews. By the way, next month, I'll be preaching on Paul's letters. So you need to get started reading right now, Romans through Hebrews in the next month, okay? Just to give you a heads up on that. So now, power of the Holy Spirit. I'm glad to say, not that we get it right all the time, but we got it right on, on this point in terms of the Holy Spirit. In our new welcome card that we have, we have on the front of it there, 
uh, our mission statement, which says we exist by the grace of God and by the, and the power of the Holy Spirit to, build, to behold God, to build up the body of Christ and to bless the city and the world. We exist by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. That is so true. Without the Spirit, we can't really behold God, and we can't build each other up without the Spirit, and we definitely can't be a blessing and an effective witness to the world without the Holy Spirit. All right, so I have two questions for you here this morning, all right? Question number one, how do we receive the Holy Spirit in order to become powerful witnesses of the resurrected Christ? How do we receive the Holy Spirit? Let me give you three passages that I think answer that question. Galatians 4, 4 to 6. These should be up here on the screen so you can just look at them. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Daddy, Father. We have, when we have the Son, we have the Spirit of Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Speaking about Jesus, it says, In Him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So by faith in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. When you give your life to Christ, when you receive him, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. You are then baptized, indwelt, sealed by the Holy Spirit. The word of God takes on life at that point. And the power of God resides in you when you put your faith in Christ. Titus 3, 4, and 6. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, in other words, the new birth process, and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So again, through Christ, the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon you. And that's just a good way of thinking about it. We come to Christ, God just takes His Spirit and pours it out upon us. So how do we receive the Holy Spirit? By receiving Christ. The disciples knew Jesus. They loved Jesus. They had Jesus. And then Jesus says, okay, I'm going to heaven, but you wait. And I'm going to send another paraclete, another helper like me. And the Holy Spirit comes. So it's through our faith in Christ. Question number two. How do we allow the Holy Spirit then to empower us in our life and in our witness to the resurrected Christ? In other words, okay, I have the Holy Spirit in my life. How do I get him to work his way out and live in me and through me to be an effective witness? How does that happen? Okay, we could stay here a long time on this one, but I'm just going to give you a couple of verses and then a couple of thoughts, and we'll, we'll end it. Galatians 5.25 says, If we live by the Spirit, and if we're in Christ, and the Holy Spirit resides in us, it's, the Spirit is living in us. If we live by the Spirit, 
let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, if you're going to keep in step with somebody, if I had somebody walking with me and we were walking down the aisle and we wanted to stay in step with one another, what's going to have to happen? Well, I can't just pay attention to myself. I'm, I'm working with a partner. I'm looking at my partner. I'm responding to my partner so that we can walk step by step together. So there has to be attention and, and, and carefulness and thoughtfulness and prayer and effort to walk step by step. It's going to take some effort on our part, a humility to let our partner lead, not us. And then Ephesians 5, 5, 15 through 18 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Folks, you, have, you, make, you make hundreds, possibly thousands of decisions every day as to whether you're going to lean toward the culture or you're going to be, be careful about how you walk and exercise wisdom in terms of how you walk. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine. Don't be controlled by a substance. Don't be controlled by your ambition. Don't be controlled by what the culture says is cool. Don't be controlled by any of that, but be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit which means you got to shut off the noise and you got to learn to listen. And here, here's a quote. I'm not sure who made it, but it's not for me. It's not original. But it says, the believer has all of the Holy Spirit. If you're in Christ, you have all of the Holy Spirit. To be filled means the Holy Spirit has all of you. If you're a believer, you have all the Holy Spirit, but when you're filled... It means the Spirit has all of you. You've surrendered. You've confessed sin. You've repented. You've asked for wisdom and empowerment. And you're listening. And you're ready to go wherever the Holy Spirit says to go and do what the Holy Spirit says to do. And you speak with boldness the truth of God's Word. You're not timid. Like Paul said to Timothy, God didn't give us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and self-control, discipline. You know, even Jesus waited for the Holy Spirit before he began his ministry and began to proclaim the kingdom of, of heaven is at hand. All right, go to Mark. Mark's a good book. I know a pastor that's been preaching through Mark. It's slow, but he's, he's making progress. The Lord may come back before he's done, but that's all right. No problem. Look at Mark chapter 1. I'm going to look at the baptism of Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verse 9. Mark 1, 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, 
You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. He saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And then, after he's empowered by the Spirit, and again, I know, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're all one, but all right, just picture it. Verse 14, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus began to proclaim the good news of the gospel in him after the Holy Spirit landed upon him. Yes, there was never a time when Jesus really wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit because they're all one. But in this sense, in terms of his humanity, he waited for the Holy Spirit to come, and then he went out, all right? Now, I've got some bad news and good news as I close this message. Which, which would you like first? Bad news. Okay, thank you. Here's the bad news. To be a spirit-filled witness for Christ will mean that we have to die to ourselves and live for God on a consistent basis. To be a spirit-filled witness for Christ will mean we must die to ourselves and live for God on a consistent basis. And here's the sad news. Most of us aren't willing to pay the price. Now, I'm just looking in the mirror and preaching to myself right now, okay? You can listen if you want to, but I'm, I'm just, I'm talking to me. Here's the good news. It only takes a few who are willing to change the world. Just like in the Apostles' Day, it only, take, it only took a few of them to turn the world upside down. I guess the last question is, do you want to be one of the few? Will you be one of the few? That's my prayer for all of us, that we will choose to be one of the few who are willing to invest our lives, to lose our lives for the sake of Christ in order that we may gain all of him and be used as effective witnesses for him wherever he sends us. Let's pray.